Welcome to the Direct Examination Podcast, or more importantly, welcome y'all to the Direct Examination Podcast. Unfortunately, we're missing Amber, but we do have our illustrious co-host. I'm Joseph Bias, and you are? <laughs> Dane say, Yeah, say your name. We always have the same cadence, and we, we oh, broke cadence this time. You know, I feel like I just, something's not right when Amber's not here. And when we don't have Amber doing the intro, it just, this, something's off. And I, There's I a disturbance like, in the force. Yeah. Exactly. You, you, you read my mind. And so, uh, yes. And, and nobody cares who I am anyway, right? So as far as that intro, that no. doesn't make that big a difference. Dane, uh, you, are, you are, especially on this episode, you are the rock upon which we build this podcast. How are you? How's everything going with you? Great. I know you're back in courts. Yeah. So we just spoke about that, kind of doing our COVID uh, 19 update as far as how the court system's running. Obviously, we had that order from the Chief Justice last week on June 3rd. Uh, however, you know, kind of my thoughts are I've been in court the past two days in summary court, and I personally don't believe that they even have the authority to, to schedule court because that order was for circuit courts and it wasn't for the summary courts, or at least it wasn't directed to the summary courts. And the prior summary court order has them suspended indefinitely. However, both cases I knew I could get resolved and it would be good for the clients. And I just went ahead and did it. Uh, the, for the domestic violence court that we went to on Wednesday, they, they did a, a great job of, you know, keeping a, a low number of defendants there and everybody spaced out and it wasn't as bad as today it was a traffic court issue. And it was, the room was packed and, mm virtually no one had on a mask. So it, that part, I got a lot of thoughts that, you know, probably can't go set, you know, you know, we can, uh, we can have our bar talk. That's a separate podcast as far yeah, as. Yeah. That's the Joseph's on. not getting disbarred um, part. <laughs> right. So Dave, you can say what you want, buddy. <laughs> right. Yeah, roll. <laughs> the opinions that have been expressed <laughs> on this podcast are of Dave Phillips and Dave Phillips alone. <laughs> Please do not disbar me. I really like my job. Right. It, it, you got a great job. And, <laughs> so we got. I love how sure. you said it. Like you have a great no, because you get to be out there with the people. And speaking yeah. of out there with the people, right? I love my job. So I know you do. That's the best segue because we're about to deal with another a woman of the people. Right. I guess, oh wait, no, you're doing it. Hey, no, that's fine. That's fine. Look, we, as you know, have nothing but illustrious guests today. Not only do we have our illustrious guests, we have one on a topic that. Uh, Dane, Amber, and I feel very strongly about, and one that's been obviously in the news recently. Our guest today practices criminal defense law at Adams and Bischoff in Charleston, South Carolina. She's also the founder of SC4CJR.org, which is an organization of lawyers and community activists who are advocates for criminal justice reform in South Carolina. Now, by the time that this podcast comes out, they will have done some online training on their website sc4cjr.org um, that, or they're going to have done a Facebook Live, excuse me, on it. But as somebody, I went to their website. It's wonderful. They have a lot of different training that she's going to talk about for attorneys. Uh, their motto is fairness, awareness, and change. We are so happy to have Ali Minigakis uh, on the show. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. 
It's such a pleasure to be here. Joseph, you don't speak Greek, I guess. It's <laughs> You know, it's the common common pronunciation there, Joseph. So uh, Papa Bias was uh, Polish. So that I, I have a weirdly uh, sound name, so I should know better and therefore I apologize. <laughs> no, not at all. It's been butchered a lot worse than that. No, <laughs> Menegakis, Menegakis. Um, but yeah, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm so grateful that you guys reached out. Yeah, no, we're, we're absolutely uh, pleased to have you on, especially considering that I think the information that we're going to be able to present during this uh, episode is going to be well needed to a lot of lawyers who, uh, you know, need to have that uh, blindfold pulled off so they can see, you know, what we as criminal defense attorneys deal with on a daily basis and the systemic issues that we that we face and so uh you know i can say as far as sc4 cjr i I did it uh i actually had a facebook friend request i've I've seen you live walking up and down the street uh doing your thing and so uh you know it's a it's a great thing and we're just definitely uh glad to have you on the show thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here Um, ali you're from florida originally but you came to south carolina you started this organization for those of us who or those of you who haven't heard about the organization can you tell us a little about it and what's the uh what was your mindset behind founding sc4cjr sure i mean you know i started my career as a public defender um i served many years doing that in florida and here in charleston and i loved it and i gotta say i I loved doing that work every day um it was incredibly fulfilling interesting um fun (laughs) the camaraderie that you get in a public defender's office is like no other Uh, and you really get to use the skills in in a in a courtroom um and advocating for people that don't have a voice and sometimes have never had anyone to stick up for them Um, So it's a beautiful thing to be a public defender. I encourage any law students that are thinking about it to definitely encourage it. Um, Reach out to me if you you want to know about it. But I loved it. Um, Jane and I are both former public defenders. Hey! I love it. Okay, so you guys know it well. Yeah, we know exactly. But I think you guys know, like, the, the blessing and the curse of being a PD is that you're a witness to a lot of injustices that happen to people um, in our state. And Beatty, Beatty Butler has said it best uh, is that it's like witnessing a car crash and you can't help but to run in and try to, to save and to help try to do what you can. And sometimes it's um, a battle you can't win. The person's you know, too far gone in some cases. And so the, he's got a good pretty rap about that. And it's, it's right. You're witness to a, kind of this horrific event and, it, it, I've, always, and I've, I've always said, you know, and it kind of fits with the times, it's infectious. You get bit by the bug of defending people and, and uh, you know, the uphill battle of the, of the fight. It's definitely an uphill battle. And that an analogy, you know, of a car crash, it, it is a car crash, and, but it's a car crash every day, multiple times a day, um, over and over. And you see the same things over and over and you get to a point where you really feel helpless. Because I think, as you guys know, there's only certain things that you're able to do on a limited capacity as a public defender because you are advocating for that one client at a time. So you can't risk, you know, speaking out or um, doing anything or saying anything that might adversely affect that client or any other clients you might get that day or in the future. 
Um, so it's frustrating. It was frustrating for me to witness these things over and over um, and feel hopeless that I, I couldn't really make the changes I needed to um, to prevent, you know, the things that my cl clients were suffering from every day and it needed to be done on a broader level. Um, so that's kind of, you know, where my base comes from. When I moved up here um, from Florida, I, you know, Florida has a lot of problems when it comes to criminal justice. You know, we have a criminal punishment code score sheet. That means that a lot of people get a lot more serious sentences than they do here for even low level offenses. You know, we have private prisons there which can cause a lot of problems. Um, here, we don't have those things, but there's other procedural problems that are serious injustices to defendants. Um, and so when I came here, I um, met a great group of people um, and we decided that it was time, you know, this past January um, to execute on that goal of having an organization of people from all parts of the criminal justice system that have experience with it, um, people with diverse backgrounds to work towards holistic criminal justice reform at every level of the criminal justice system. Not to go total deviation, you had criminal depositions in Florida, didn't you? We did. We had depositions. We had a statutory rule-based speedy trial right. So, you know, down there... Yeah, yeah two things that we have do not have in South Carolina and could only imagine what it would be like if we had. Right. And those are two of the big things, you know, and we'll talk about that. I'm sure that um, we're really pushing for in this state. And I don't think it's impossible. And I, I think it's necessary if we want to have fairness across the board. Absolutely. So, you know, your organization, it's not a law firm. And what you guys do is essentially training other attorneys. Can you talk a little bit about the types of training that you guys do and essentially what the goal of SC4CJR is, if you can boil it down, other than just generally criminal justice reform? Sure. I mean, well, let me clarify. I mean, one of the many things that we do is we are at this time offering um, training and we're trying to get CLE accreditation um, to train lawyers how to represent the person at bond court. Um, but you know, overall, our mission is to unveil the injustices that plague each stage of the criminal justice system, educate the pub public on those injustices, and then create effective proposals for legislative reform. So our big goal, and like our motto is fairness, awareness, and change. We want to identify the unfairness in our system, educate and make the public aware of those injustices, because I guarantee when people learn about the problems that we have, they're going to recognize that that needs to change and then coming up with solutions for how to do that. So one of the, the many things that we're doing right now is offering virtual webinars. We're doing that via Facebook Live. Um, and specifically, you know, when it comes to, you know, recent current events with George Floyd, we're having a um, webinar and it, it's called Dissecting Police Problems and Proposed Policies. And we're trying to educate the people and teach them what are these problems in our, in specifically when it comes to the police, what are the different proposals that different organizations are suggesting to fix these problems? What do they mean? And what are the advantages and disadvantages of each? So that's one of the virtual series we're doing. We also do um, a series called Justice Unveiled, 
where we interview different players and stakeholders in the criminal justice system sh to shed light on what the different roles are and what problems those people see. Um, last uh, two weeks ago, we had one of our board members, Keith Smalls. Um, he's a great criminal justice reform advocate and he was incarcerated for almost 19 years for 19 grams of cocaine. Um, and when he returned home within a year of his release, his son um, was shot and killed by um, another juvenile. And at the sentencing hearing, you guys, and I've never seen this, I don't know if you ever have, but instead of asking for the max or asking for punishment, he begged the judge not to send his son's killer to prison because he knew firsthand that that wow. would not be anything. Can you imagine that? I yeah, that's, that's crazy. Certainly nothing more compelling from a victim's impact statement than uh, someone who spent time there in, in their own testimony, uh, literally uh, advocating for the defendant in presenting their own mitigation evidence. Yeah, and, and he ended up mentoring one of the boys, and he still does. Um, you know, and I, I think that speaks not only to Keith's character, but it speaks to the harm that he received all those years in prison and the trauma that he had and, and realized that this did not fix anything. It didn't save the public. It didn't save him, um, but it took away so many years of his life and he didn't even want that for his son's killer. So, um, you know, those are the kinds of stories that, that we talk about and want to shed light on for people that, you know, like us aren't part of the, aren't part of the criminal justice system or haven't worked in it um, so that they can see what, what these laws really do to everyday people. So, Ali, one of the things, obviously, that's been happening in the state is, and around the nation, are these protests where individuals are getting arrested for usually pretty basic or simple crimes and having to navigate that process either on their own or with very little uh, legal help. I know that you wanted to talk about bond court. Can you tell us kind of the situation of bond court in South Carolina between big counties with the representation versus a small one and whether a uh, individual would be even afforded a right to an attorney at a uh, magistrate or a municipal court? Sure. So I'll tell you, when I joined the public defender's office here, I took a position that was um, funded by a MacArthur Foundation grant, the Safety and Justice Challenge grant. That's a grant that Charleston received a few years ago, several million dollars. And the focus of that grant was to um, reduce racial disparity in bonds by implementing uh, risk assessments um, for magistrates and judges to use um, to afford public defenders to represent defendants at their bond hearings, um, to create a, a council of different stakeholders in the community. Um, and th they've been really successful. Ashley Cunnington here in, in Charleston County had the head public defender has really made gigantic strides in the last few years for getting representation for defendants in bond court, which never was before. Um, and we owe a lot of that to the grant. So for my role there, I was in charge of, you know, the bond court proceedings and coming from Florida, I had experience with that because in Florida, any county you go to, every single person is afforded a public defender. Um, 
and even times when they can't afford one, the judge will waive that and allow a, a public defender to represent them because they recognize how difficult it is to get a lawyer on such short notice, even if you can afford one. So, you know, this is something that is very important to me, especially after doing that work for a while in Charleston County and seeing the struggles um, and coming from a place where everyone got a lawyer there. Um, my understanding, you know, years ago before this grant came, there really wasn't a, a, a county in Charleston that did provide public defenders for people at bond court. Um, from my understanding, um, from what I've seen so far. So, yeah, Dane, other- so I can jump in. They still don't in many counties around the state provide public defender representation. You know, the only reason really why the grants came and why there is representation in some places is one, you have some great circuit public defenders who've allocated funds and then you have these grants, but also there was this big study done by Colette Tibet with the with NACDL, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, overviewing the basically all the systemic problems in our summary court system. Obviously, one big focus is the lack of representation, uh, the, you know, as far as denying the right to counsel at that stage. And of course, we had a big order from the Chief Justice addressing a lot of the issues as a result of that big study. And of course, the lawsuits that stemmed from the ACL uh, as a result. Uh, but yeah, no, right now, you know, there's I mean, you could just rattle off how many different, not only counties, but municipalities where uh, you, you will not have any representation. At, and these are, some of them are, are big counties, no representation at bond court. You know, and there's, as you know, a lot of critical things can happen at that point if uh, you don't have proper counsel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things we're trying to look into is to identify the counties that do have it and those that don't. My understanding so far is that you know, Richland County adopted our method here from Charleston. Um, but you know that- They do a great job. Yeah, one of our board members is is from there and, and she's fantastic. And she told us, you know, about how their process work. But it, the problem is, Dane and Joseph, is that even with these grants and even with fantastic public defenders, there's still only limited resources to get to everyone. So when I was doing that job, you know, I would go out several times, you know, a month to bond court to sub in for those lawyers that couldn't make it that day. And there were times when even the general, well, let me back up. The public defenders only prioritize the the general sessions cases, obviously, for those that don't know, those are the more serious cases, right? right? Versus, you know, the municipal or magistrate level cases. And sometimes they weren't even, we weren't even able to get to all the general sessions cases. Um, and so that means that, you know, even in the counties that do have public defenders, there's still a significant amount of defendants that don't have legal representation at these hearings. And it was heartbreaking for me as a lawyer, as a public defender, to sit there and represent one person and then have to sit down and watch another person stand up there alone with no representation. If they incriminated themselves, I couldn't say a word because I wasn't appointed. If there was a a reasonable basis or an unreasonable bond condition, I couldn't say a word because I wasn't appointed. And these are the kinds of things that happen all over our state. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of, you know, other talk, well, what's the point of having a public defender for such a low level charge? They're probably gonna get personal recognizance anyway. Sure, they probably will. But the issue is that everyone is entitled to a lawyer. 
Right. And and while you know there's some discrepancy as to whether that's necessarily an essential hearing, as a lawyer sitting there and watching someone unrepresented when you have the full ability to do it is really difficult to watch. Now, Ali, yeah. I, was, I think a lot of our listeners, whether it be you know non-criminal attorneys or um, law students or even general public, would be shocked to know that you know there are individuals going to court that. Aren't, don't have lawyers or aren't afforded the opportunity for a lawyer. Of course, that you have called bond court how-to. What could they expect to find from your uh, bond court uh, course? Well, I mean, you know, the basic things that you want to learn is basically on the statute for, for bond court and what things are relevant, right? There's really two factors that are relevant for a magistrate judge when they're determining bond. The first one is whether this person is a danger to the community. And the second, whether that person is a risk of flight. So whether they're likely to not come back to court. And then there's factors based on statute that can go to those. You know, um, criminal history is certainly a factor. Whether they have violent charges in their past, um, whether the charge itself is of the violent nature, whether they have failures to appear in their, in their history, um, or they don't have roots in the community. All those are kinds of things that are relevant for a bond hearing. We're not working in any way like a law firm. We're not trying to solicit rest representation or anything. We're trying to provide a service and provide, well, not even a service, provide lawyers that care about legal representation, care about the Constitution, and don't want to see people in court alone, and tell them how the best way to represent someone is. You know, when there's public defenders, if there's a private attorney, obviously we're not going to get involved. Um, we're going to tell them, you know, how, how it works, how you go to the jail and talk to the person ahead of time. We're working with the jail here to, to accommodate that. Um, but even still, it's really difficult. There's a lot of obstacles um, right now to trying to get in to talk with a person before um, their bond hearing. And, and that's something that we're really trying to work on, um, even if you are a pro bono lawyer. So it's just, it's just such a, it's such an important hearing. And, you know, when I was a, a new PD, I don't know if it was the same with you guys, we had to, well, in Florida, we had to do weekend um, bond court down there. They call it first appearances. And so we would rotate and I used to dread having to do it. But the more I did it, the more I realized how much I loved it um, and how important it is for that person to have a lawyer there. Because that, in my experience, and maybe y'all feel the same way, that bond hearing, especially in South Carolina, is the most important thing in their criminal case. Because that determines whether they're going to be able to go home or not for, the pen, for that entire long process that we have in South Carolina for their case to resolve. And I'll tell you, even trying to get a bond reconsideration in some counties takes months. So if you don't get a, a reasonable bond at that first hearing, there's a good chance you could lose your home, you could lose your job, it can affect your family if you, you're taking care of them. It can really have a significant impact on you and everyone that surrounds you. A couple of things I wanted to throw in there since we're talking about bonds, and I know you, you'll go through this in their trainings, but for people listening, the two things I kind of wanted to just kind of throw out there is that the standard is for a personal reconnaissance bond. PR bond is the standard, you know, Article 1, Section 15, and then, the, you know, the state, South Carolina Code of Laws, if you're right there looking at it from the South Carolina Constitution, the standard is a PR bond. They have to show, the state has a burden to show why they wouldn't, the bond amount would, wouldn't reasonably assure their appearance in court. 
And then the other part of it is everybody says danger to the community. And I have to remind the judges all the time, it, it's a much higher standard than that. The plain language of the statute is an unreasonable danger to the community. They have to meet that higher threshold of proving not only danger, but one, they're presumed innocent of those charges, but a higher threshold based on some other prior conduct that they pose an unreasonable, that's a high burden, danger to the community or a specific person. And in most cases, they can't. And so that's one of the things I always tell people to make sure they made the argument that the standard is a PR bond. That is the standard. And then they have to disprove it, that the burden's technically on the state. And then they have a, another higher burden of crossover as far as the unreasonable uh, danger to the community. Now, as far as, you know, touching on the fact that the sad state of affairs of being poor in this country and having a bond that you can't make as a public defender is one of the most heartbreaking things or as being a public defender of meeting with a client in jail and knowing that their whole life is falling apart simply because they don't have a couple hundred dollars, knowing that their house is probably broken into by the people that know they're in jail, that they've lost their job. You're right. That is That was one of the hardest things for me is to know that it puts pressure on people who otherwise would have probably taken their case to trial, uh, but felt hopeless between that 90-day, 120-day period of you know, the solicitor's finally ready to resolve the case, and they're, you know, they've given an offer that they can't refuse given the circumstances, and it, it's, uh, it's tragic. It is tragic, and, and, you know, one of the other things that I did through, through that job um, at the PD's office was my entire case, I had a small caseload, but my entire caseload was made up of people that were too poor to post their bond with low-level offenses. I had an entire caseload, and I was one of two of those lawyers. Um, you know, and it, it, it was really heartbreaking and the obstacles trying to get these people into court and trying to get a resolution in time. And, and, um, it just, it's unnecessary and it, it's not just, you know, unfair to those people, but it's also a huge financial burden on us. Like all these people that are sitting in jail, what does it cost like over a hundred dollars to have someone per day? I mean, Charleston County, I think the budget for the jail was something a little under $40 million last year. You know, I mean, we are paying I, think, I think they do it for 50 or 60 and I've heard maybe even now 70, but back when I was a PD, I think it was like 50 something dollars a day per. Uh, and they could have just given some of that money to the PDs. Um, we certainly could have used it. Yeah, that's right. They, can, they could still use it. Allie, uh, you kind of mentioned the public policy concern of this, and I'm curious. So what work is SC4CJR doing to kind of educate the public as to the problems in the justice system and uh, in, in letting them know that the things that we're talking about are actual problems that require solutions, that require efforts? Uh, you know, a lot of folks see the statistics or they'll see the news clips, but they don't know what to do and they don't know if, if this is something that can be fixed. So can you talk a little bit about your work as it comes to, you know, the general public? Sure. You know, we are big about storytelling. We want to tell people um, and teach people about the system through people who have lived through it, people who either work in it or have been affected or been victims of it. Um, we, you know, believe in, in bite-sized information. You know, Joseph, before you were teasing me that I'm the first guest on here that has a TikTok. Yes, we have a TikTok for our organization. 
But you know, the kids, they, they watch that, you know, right. they, they love to watch it. So we do, you know, we joined with the ACLU last week in a know your rights campaign. Um, we try and give out bite-sized information and, and provide um, webinars for people and short videos um, to people just to explain what the process is like. Um, because so many people don't hear that and the news may not get it right all the time if they even cover it. So they don't get it right. Um, so we're trying to start a, a book club, um, reading different books on criminal justice that we're going to have online. Um, one of my goals is, is to also interact with people in the prison system. You know, I, I'm sure you guys got a lot of wonderful art from your clients in the past. You know, I don't know uh, if you still have it. So I started my career as an appellate defender uh, before mm -hmm. going to be a county uh, public defender. And so doing appeals, most of you know, all my clients were in uh, SEDC. So I've, I've gotten some, some great artwork. Come Christmas time, all the cards, yeah. uh, some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, I kept most of them. They're really touching. And some of them are really sad and impactful. And I'd love to be able to provide some kind of, you know, forum for people that are incarcerated to express themselves. Um, that's just some of the things that, you know, we're working on, but our big thing is, is educating people on, on the system and talking about, um, and talking to experts about what the problems are and how we can fix them. We're interviewing tomorrow, um, Seth Stoughton out of, you um, University of South Carolina School of Law, who's really big on use of force. He's going to be diving into those issues. He's been featured on like CNN. I was so excited when mm -hmm. he accepted it. <laughs> I was really surprised. Um, but we're really excited for that. We're going to be talking about qualified immunity. Um, and we're going to be going each week into each proposal for, um, for police right now. But then we are hoping to pivot that conversation into other issues in our criminal justice system, like bond reform, like the need for depositions, like the need for better and open discovery and rules of criminal procedure, motion practice, um, you know, uh, speedy trials, more court, more funding for public defenders, more um, legal representation for people regardless of charge or economic status at each step of the criminal process. Um, so these are the kinds of things that we're hoping that people stick with us and realize that this, the police reform is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. This Did you is see a the... Sorry to interrupt. Did you see the Fourth oh, Circuit Court of Appeals opinion yesterday on qualified immunity? No, I didn't. Go read it. You will be uh, pleasantly surprised that the Fourth Circuit, which is obviously known as the most conservative court, gave an incredible opinion yesterday on qualified immunity. And literally the quote from the opinion is, this has to stop. And wow. it's uh, just, yeah, go check it out. It's It's amazing. And, you know, some one of the other three things that I kind of had listed that you out of all the issues that you were saying, I had a, I wrote them all out was, you know, we, in this state, grand jury reform. The, mm -hmm. It is mm -hmm. it is deplorable. I can I could rail against the way our indictment process, our grand jury process is done in South Carolina. Patrick McLaughlin uh, is a defense lawyer from Florence who has really attacked the system and has proved that virtually almost every time, uh, you know, they've had it where you've had, you know, hundreds of indictments. And most of the time, the grand jury process, when you break it down per indictment is that each and each case is getting like one minute, which, you know, is obviously not true. We, you know, they were wow. able, the public defender's office in York was able to get a couple hundred indictments thrown out and had them redo it uh, using that same uh, set of documents that 
they had put together. And so a grand jury reform, attorney conducted voir dire, and then still fighting solicitor control of the docket. You know, obviously there's no uniformity in South Carolina with that, but the fact that Langford and we had former Chief Justice. Yeah, we talked about that with Conus. Is the fact that even though it's found unconstitutional, here we are, not a decade later, but getting pretty close. Uh, And there's plenty of places around the state, I'd say most, where the solicitors still control the docket. There's so many issues. And so I'm I'm just glad that we have your organization joining the, the fight. We need as many people out here as we can and the work you've already done. I mean, when was uh, SC4CJR founded? Because y'all, I mean, it's really just blown up. It's great. You know, um, we officially launched January of this year. Um, but, you know, we are a nonpartisan group. We're 100% grassroots. We don't even accept any funding, Dane. Um, so we you, you you know, was getting ready, so, so get ready to write that check. He, he, so he was ready. You, you lost me if you turn away money. So if I, <laughs> if I ever get to be a part with, if somebody's given money, we, we're going to, we should take it. Uh, because you know, if it's for the good cause, I don't, I wouldn't turn away money. Now, Allie, <laughs> Allie, before you, uh, Dane, I used to be an insurance defense lawyer. And so Dane for years would rag on me about doing it for the money. So totally. I'm taking this clip of him saying he needs the money. And you know, you are a true woman of the people. Dane just does it for the dollar. We appreciate you, Allie, and your work. Now, I think I'm going to recruit Dane to do the Bond Court how-to seal. <laughs> you are you, you, you Robin Hood, right? We're 100% grassroots, Dane. We need your help, man. That's look, right. Look, look, I've read Robin Hood as a kid. You, 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 you can steal from the rich and give to the poor. Is That's what I got from the book. Sure, sure, now, sure. I'll tell you, we, when we started, we didn't think that we needed to, to worry about funding. You know, all of us have full-time jobs. Our board is comprised of, you know, PDs, um, defense attorneys, former prosecutors, academics, formerly incarcerated. All of us work full-time. Um, so, you know, we were hoping to be able to do this stuff virtually, but you know, with the, you know, the protests and the death of George Floyd, um, obviously this is a hot topic and people are attracted to, you know, our organization and we're grateful for that. Um, so, I mean, maybe in the future we'll look into, you know, becoming officially a nonprofit and going through that route and, and, you know, when we need, I mean, right now I'm using money out of my pocket to pay for flyers and stuff. Um, so I I certainly would, would love it, but you know, I want to do it the right way and I don't want, Honestly, I don't want any strings attached. You know sure. what I mean? I, I don't want anyone telling me what we can and can't advocate for. I want to do what's right and what's the true way to do it um, and what needs to change. And I don't want to have to be influenced by anyone. And I feel like that sometimes can happen when money gets involved. Um, so if, if, if the opportunity comes that we find someone that's willing to you know, donate to us and we're able to you know, stay true to our mission, then I'm certainly open to it. But right now we are not accepting any funding and we haven't been. Ali, before we wrap up, I one quick question. So we have, obviously we have folks who are going to listen to this who are protesting or thinking about protesting or worried about protesting. If you could give a 30 second, one minute uh, speech to somebody who's protesting things that they need legal things that they need to be aware of um, what would you say you know it's funny you say that I I, they, I should just direct them to my TikTok because it is exactly a minute and I did one just on that the other day but I will I will try and replicate it Go ahead. Um, 
so here's the thing. It, the main things, and I don't tell you, I'm not, I don't do First Amendment law a lot. I, I work on the fourth and fifth. You know, I'm, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. But what you got to remember if you're going to go protest is you have a right to, you know, use your First Amendment right in, in public spaces usually. But, you know, when, if there's going to be a huge amount of people there, you might need a permit. We've seen that here in Charleston. I know you guys have had cases there in Richland County. Um, but if you want to play it safe, the sidewalks are safe. Okay, stick to the sidewalk so long as you're not interfering with any traffic or pedestrian traffic. Don't bring any drugs with you. <laughs> I got to say that as a PD, you know, don't, don't bring any drugs with you. Don't bring any, you know, THC or vape pens or whatever they got these days. Don't bring them because if you get arrested, you're going to end up with a felony on top of that. Right. If you've got prescription medication, put that in the prescription bottle with your name on it and keep that with you. Um, don't bring any weapons with you. Um, if you're getting confronted by the police, don't resist. Don't fight back. You're going to end up with a potential felony or another misdemeanor for, you know, battery on a law enforcement officer or something like that. You know, just do, don't reach for your pockets. Don't reach for bags. I mean, these are things that people should always know um, when they're dealing with law enforcement, especially in this really tense time when officers are concerned for their safety and, and everyone else. So, um, most important, you know, I always tell my clients, especially my juvenile clients back in the day, I call it the magic words. I want a lawyer. <laughs> um, if, if you're, you know, when, what so many people always ask, I don't know if you guys get this, it's like they didn't read me my Miranda rights. Well, they don't always have to y'all. The only time that they have to read your Miranda rights are two times, like two things have to be there. One, you're in custody. Um, and two, you're being questioned. So if you're in custody, they're not asking you questions. They don't need to read you those rights. Um, but don't offer anything. <laughs> you know, if they start asking you a question, that's when you say the magic words, I want a lawyer. Because that's the only thing that can make them stop asking you questions. Um, you know, those are the, those are the big things I, I tell everyone, regardless of protesting. See, but that I, was I a TikTok-worthy <laughs> soundbite that uh, <laughs> we could... TikTok would have been like a fifth of that time. It's hard. I don't it's know. Hard. See, I, 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 I don't know. Two so, other things. I think you would be a TikTok celebrity. I think you need to get on there tonight. <laughs> he would be a TikTok celebrity. You would see me in some video. Like, I have a feeling that I would really like it and get addicted to it, which is why I, <laughs> I can't do it. Like, because you would lose your job. It's true. And, you know, I'm all about hashtag don't get fired. So this is this is my life. Um, Wait, go ahead, Dave. I, w I want to add to that. So this is not for me, but uh, a lawyer I work with or the, the partner of the firm, he put out on, on his page to make sure if you're be in the process of being arrested to yell, one, go there with friends. So you have already built in witnesses. Make sure you stay with your group of people so your witnesses are there. But if you end up in a position where you're not going to have those type of witnesses, if you're in the process of being arrested, to yell out your name a couple of times, that way you possibly could be able to be found on somebody else's video recording pretty easy, and it's easier to spot. So if, while you're being arrested, if you yell out your name, you might could then cross-reference through somebody else's video the arrest. thought that was interesting. But yeah. you could put it out on different things. I was like, that's an interesting take on it as far as just trying to trying to create witnesses to show exactly what happened and you know if you're dealing with a situation where you end up with more charges than 
than what actually happened. I'm just going to add another thing. You know, a lot of these charges that these people are, you know, that are protesting are getting arrested for, you know, if they're like peaceful protesting, they're usually, they're disobeying a lawful order, violation of curfew. Those, you know, the bond for that is set usually at booking. So if you've got someone that can post, it's usually around like $465. If you've got that much uh, money somewhere um, to be prepared to post that so you don't have to go to bond court and potentially not have a lawyer there. <laughs> right. Ali, we're running a little bit long, but we this is great information. And again, uh, the website is sc4cjr.org. Um, you can find them on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and of course, TikTok uh, at SC4CJR. Thank you again. Thank you so much for taking some time uh, for us uh, this evening. Again, the website is SC4CJR.org. You can see it. We'll link to it on our social media, but you can follow them at Facebook, SC4CJR.org. Uh, .org, Twitter, SC4CJR, the same thing on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Yeah, and Ali <laughs> is going to uh, coach uh, me, Dane, and Amber up so that we're our I'm TikTok ready. game is strong. Um, <laughs> Dane's going to have the filters and everything. It's going to be great. Um, I'm going to add more videos now. I only got two on there. No, no. By the <laughs> time this comes out, there needs to be like 10 because we are hyping up this TikTok. I'm going to start the count. I don't even have TikTok. Neither do I. I didn't either, Dane. It's all right. I need to join the revolution here. Yeah, I don't have Instagram either. Amber is our Instagram, uh, you know, guru. So <laughs> is what it is. Um, Ali, thanks so much. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, I would encourage all the attorneys who are listening, go check out the website if you can help, if you're in a, a position to help, not only with helping them get CLE credit, but also help them out with the work that they're doing. Um, I appreciate it. We appreciate it. And I know the uh, individuals at SC4CJR appreciate it as well. South Carolina appreciates That's right. That's right. So, uh, Dane, I'll see you next week. Allie, thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for okay, listening to uh, the Direct Examination Podcast. Thanks, Allie. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.